Raja Pinks. You are listening to Behind the Lens. And yes, indeed, you are. Thank you, Jar Jar Binks. And yes, you are listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my movie reviews and interviews all around the globe, print and online, but every Monday, right here on Adrenaline Radio at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we are live. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a lazy morning, a lot of shuffling going on, uh, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men when you're doing something live. Everything tends to go awry, but thankfully I have my trusty, my trusty right hand, Brian, in the engineer's booth today. He's back. Yes, a couple pounds heavier. Well. Uh, not, not that anyone can tell, but I, I'd rather let them know now before they see me oh. walking the street and everything. Oh, well, yes. You know, as, as our regular listeners know, Brian took a few days off and, and we missed him last week. We, yes, Michael Sandoval, we missed the Star Wars countdown. Um, but we're going to make up for it and we're going to give it to you today. So don't worry about it. Um, we've been juggling because one of our guests today, Dory Barton, Dory is sitting in an airport with her feet propped up and this is probably her calling in on the phone because she's getting on a flight. Um, so, but we want to hear, talk to Dory all about girl flu later on in the show, Reed Cox, actress, producer, Reed Cox will be joining us at the half hour mark, uh, to talk about, I blame Monty Hall, but so, but so Dory can get, so Dory can make it to her plane and get a good seat on time. We're going to bring Dory on right now. Hello. <laughs> Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Fine. I, I saw the picture of your feet propped up on the window ledge in the airport. Are you comfy? <laughs> I, this, is a, this is an incredibly beautiful airport. It's, it's brand new here in Wichita, and I really, I swear, it's one of the prettiest airports I've ever been in my life. So you're enjoying the airport. I really, I like airports. <laughs> but, you know, there's something wrong because, you know, Dorothy is supposed to be in Kansas and Dorothy is now leaving Kansas. Now I'm leaving Kansas. But you here far too short. <laughs> but you were there for a very, very good reason because Girl Flu is just going huckley buck on the film festival circuit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's doing pretty well. We're getting great responses. We're playing in festivals all over the country. Um, and you get a trip to the Bahamas out of this. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's that's really marvelous. Yes, yeah. For, for everybody yeah. listening on the East Coast or down, because you know we go out live globally, and then we're archived. The sound is available as a podcast. So all of our listeners down in that area heading to the Bahamas, make sure you go during the Bahama Film Festival so you can see Girl Flu. Aww. I hope they're okay. I hope they're you know still there and hanging in there after that terrible hurricane i'll tell you we're just getting and of course it's it's raining here in la kind of sorta oh really yes yes that i'm missing that <laughs> i love rain well it's it's kind of sort of rain it's spotty rain but some of it's been nice of course the inherent traffic disasters are occurring and then uh, yes and there were four power transformers that blew up in Venice this morning. So 
Oh, oh no! Aren't you glad? Yeah, the Los Angeles fear of rain. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're in Kansas? <laughs> I am. It's such a beautiful day. Such a beautiful day. Well, I will be back in LA next weekend. So you will the, for the yeah a very important screening of Girl Flu at the LA Femme Film Fest on Sunday the twenty third at Lemley Music Hall. That's that's right. Yes. And there are tickets still available because I checked. Oh, good. That's good to know. So people That's can bad. get tickets. So for all of our lovely listeners who didn't get tired of hearing me talk about Girl Flu back in June <laughs> when the film had its world premiere at L.A. Film Festival, tell everybody this is one flu you're going to enjoy hearing about. <laughs> it is. It's it's. It's, we've been getting such good responses from from women and men. We've had lots of young people come to see this. So you know, the story is is about a little girl getting her first period and how that really affects her relationship with her mother. It's it's a you know the dual coming of of age story of both of these women, um, you know, coming to terms with what being a woman means. Um, and you know, because because of you know the two different ages being represented, because it's about mothers and daughters, um, and father figures and daughters. You know, there's there, it really seems to be resonating for a lot of people, and that makes me really really happy. Well, and that's one of the great things. You've got Jeremy Sisto, who you know my love for for Sisto, and mm-hmm. he, <laughs> but he his chemistry. With the lovely Jade Pettijohn, who plays our our young heroine, um, it, it is just off the charts, and he is so endearing as a father figure to this young girl. But it's all he's also hilarious, and that's one of the great things yeah. with this film. Your comedy comes from these natural moments. Yeah, it's nice. it, it, it it is really nice. It's so nice to be in a, you know a full house of people who are who are all laughing, and it's it's fun too to sort of like stick around for the you know the first fifteen minutes of the film and and feel the audience sort of learn as it goes along that that this is funny, you know, because so much of the comedy is so awkward that you can feel the audience you know finding it funny, but then being not totally sure if they're allowed to do that. But, uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a moment, I guess it's about like 13 minutes in or something, and it's actually Sisto, you know, responds to the news that, that Bird has just gotten her yes. first period, and it's really like the first really big laugh in the film, and it's such a great moment because you can just feel the audience, like, you know, relax into this, like, oh, it's a comedy, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's a definite comedy, and adding to that, you got Katie Sackoff, who plays Bird's yeah. mother, Jenny, who herself has never grown up and wants to be the center of attention and the whole world revolves around her. And she's so good in this film. She, her chemistry with everyone is off the hook. She's great with Sisto. She's marvelous with Jade. She and Heather Matarazzo have crazy chemistry. And she's it, so good in this film. And Heather steps in as, you know, that other mother, that aunt, the non-related mm-hmm. aunt. Yeah who has the words of wisdom and the grounding. And she mm-hmm. she just does an amazing job. And it's not a role you would expect Heather to take. You would think of something lighter and funnier, but she's really the more grounded, dramatic piece in your puzzle. She, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, somebody has to be the grown-up. <laughs> well, do they have to, really? Well, <laughs> in this whole messy familial system, yeah, somebody needed to, to do that. Heather actually came with me to Tallgrass, and they did a really cool double feature yesterday where they showed Welcome to the Dollhouse. And they gave her a lovely award, the Ed Astra Award, for her contribution to film and and did an amazing interview with her, uh, which I I believe the Tallgrass website has posted. And um, she's she's magnificent. And then they did a Q&A after the Girls' Blue screening as well. And they're both worth worth watching just to, you know, find out who Heather is and... Mm -hmm. Because she's so much more than Lily Moskowitz in The Princess Diaries. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she really is. She's, she's quite a woman. I mean, she's, you know, she's an actor. She's an activist. Um, yeah, she comes to this with a, with a lot of power and intention. Yeah, Heather, Heather is a force of nature, in all honesty. Oh, yeah. But now, <laughs> so I have to ask you, your first, your first script, right, first time, writer-director... You mm-hmm. come with oodles of years of acting, grounded in <laughs> in soap opera training, no less. So that was my first professional job. Yes. <laughs> well, and as so many so many have said over the years, there is nothing like the soaps for learning ground because of the breakneck mm-hmm. pace. How fast thing you know? How fast things go? How quickly as an actor you have to learn your lines? Um, yeah. It's really a crash course in production. How did yeah. how did those skills that you learned back then? How did they aid you through the years as an actress, and now leading up to writing and directing Girl Flu? Um, I mean, it all—it feels like a very sort of natural path to me. You know, I've been doing theater since I was a little girl, and um, so a lot of my theater skills helped me survive the soap opera. You know. <laughs> Um, being being good at memorizing, being being fast on your feet, being light on your feet. Um, yeah, no, looking at it now as sort of like a, a whole, and of course, I don't I don't know what's going to happen next. But um, yeah, it also like a very natural thing when it when I think about all the um, film and television I've done as well. I I realize now looking back that the people that I was most interested in every every project I was on were the director. And the cinematographer, you know, just really watching what they were doing, watching what their job was, trying to learn as much as I could about camera position and lenses, just just out of curiosity, long before I had ever even thought about doing it myself. But I, but I look back now and I realize how much I was picking up because that's what I that's what piqued my interest. And of course, and you can we can see that in Girl Flu, the palette that you and your cinematographer Alice Brooks have designed. It's beautiful. It's light. There's a lot of color. But then you work in tandem with your lighting and your framing, in tandem with the production design, with Alex's production design. And mm-hmm. you re- you guys really made that space within one house work for you to the benefit of the film. Yeah, it's, a, it's everyone did such a, a beautiful job. And, and, you know, so I'm so grateful to. I just want to give a shout out to my amazing producer David Wilson, who, of course, is the man who made this all possible. It was, you know, until he came along, this was, this was just a dream. It was an idea in my head that became an idea on paper. But um, had it not been for him, it would the film wouldn't exist. Um, so it's 
greatly, you know, everything in the film is <laughs> is because of him. But to his his benefit, he was the one that realized, you know, what kind of a house we needed, what, what um, you know, that we needed to sort of expand beyond how I had been thinking about it to. Um, yeah, to make it to make it a bigger film and to give us more space to play in because I think you can get really claustrophobic inside that house and if if we hadn't shot in such a beautiful house with with all those you know all those structural elements in place mm-hmm. to begin with um, yeah lots of lots of great angles doorways you know long looks down the yeah it was a great playground yeah and it, and Alice's lensing made it look a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than it than it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish people could have seen the the, the camera operator, who's this, you know, quite large ex footballer, squeezed <laughs> into the bath bathtub in the bathroom <laughs> to, to shoot, you know, well, like I, the three women scene in the bathroom. Just out, outrageous things we had to do to make that space look bigger. <laughs> you know, and and I think that's important that you mention that because so often when. If so many people are, are wonder about behind the scenes magic and oh it must be CGI or oh they must have gone to you know built that somewhere else. No, when you see Girl Flu in this bathroom scene in this tiny little bathroom, you actually mm-hmm. shot it in that bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Everything everything feels very real because it, it it was. <laughs> <laughs> now let me ask you: with all of your years as an actress, do you mm-hmm. think that helped you as a director? in terms of knowing your actors? I have so much respect for actors and, and so much love for them. I'm, 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 always, I'm always in awe of, of what actors are able to do and how emotionally available they are and, and how much of themselves that they're, you know, that they're willing to expose and, and be vulnerable with. So, yeah, I mean, my, my respect is enormous. And... Yeah, I think, you know, certainly I approach talking with the actors and, and um, you know, helping helping them shape the characters. I, 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 I do think a lot about how, you know, I would like to be talked to. And, of course, every, every actor is different. Every actor likes to hear information in a different way. Some actors are sensory. Some actors are, you know... Um, uh, more literal some some actors like logic some actors like emotion you know every everyone is different so you just have to be um yeah really attentive to, to their needs and what you know what's the best way to collaborate with that actual individual and not treating all actors like you know i, I think i think some directors are afraid of actors because they think that they're all sort of like the <laughs> general same thing instead of the you know that they're each individual's who are willing to put everything about themselves on the line for their art. So it's pretty remarkable. Now, because of the fact that you are an actress, but you are also, here you are the writer and director. How precious are you with the words on the page, especially given you understand the actor's perspective that sometimes they might want to ad lib or change something you know, change the wording up so that for a better context and feel for themselves. How open to change were you in this film? I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sort of in the middle, I guess, because I'm pretty, I'm very, very open to, you know, I, I love collaboration with everybody. I, I always want everything to be a, a collaboration. So collaborating with the actors on finding 
you know, if these words are the right thing, if they believe that this is, authenticity is extremely important to me. So if an actor feels like a line isn't authentic or if there's a way to make it more authentic, um, always very open to, to hearing other ideas. There are some things that I write that are have um, have like a rhythmic purpose mm-hmm. to them. Uh, and so those things I tend to want to, you know, there's a, maybe a word choice that I picked that, you know, that I, I know how many different places in the script that shows up because it's a, the running idea for me. But of course, if you're just looking at, you know, one individual scene, that's not necessarily going to mm-hmm. pop out at you. So there's, there's some things that I protect, but of course, if somebody has a better idea about anything, <laughs> you know, I'd be stupid not to listen to that. <laughs> Well, there are there are some directors that are stupid not to listen to those things. I, well, you may have worked I, for I, some I, of them. <laughs> well, I think you know you want your film to be the, the best it can be, and I think it's it's uh, it's hubris to think that you're the only one that knows how to do that. So, <laughs> so what would you consider the greatest challenge that you had to overcome and that you overcame in making Girl Flu? I, I can't really, I don't really know, but every, every stage, you know, there was no secret to anybody that, that I hadn't made a film before, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't trying to pretend to be more knowledgeable about anything, you know, than I actually was, but, you know, the, the real, the real exciting thing to me and the real challenge is that, you know, every different phase that comes along, like, you know, having to learn about cameras and lenses, you know, I go, went through a crash course. On that, you, you know, you go through a crash course on camera blocking, you go through a crash course on editing, you go through a crash course on sound design. You know, each step along the way is a is a new opportunity to learn something. So, you know, really, um, actually, that, that didn't feel like a challenge to me. It was, it's just the job, you know, to know how to do all of those things. And it was, it was really thrilling to me, actually, because I love learning, I love studying. Um, so it was cool to be able to, you know, to learn I learned so much in, in such a compressed amount of time. So as you learned all of, after learning, the, getting your crash courses in all those different areas, have you found a favorite one that you like to con- focus on or may focus really on like, in the future? I like all of it. <laughs> I, like I really liked editing. Oh, pray tell. Pray tell why, Dory. <laughs> why do you well of course there's that saying about you know that you write the film three times you write it once when you're doing the script you write it when you're shooting it and then you write it again when you're editing it so I think it's the place you know uh, you know lord willing you get enough coverage you know to work <laughs> with um, so you have all the raw material that the editing is so fascinating because that is really where you shape it and and the fun of playing with you know how much of a difference does you know re- removing just a few frames or adding in a few frames or cutting to something that you never imagined cutting to when you were writing this you know it's, it's all that's a really really interesting process and you can be incredibly detailed about it and and take all the time in the world with it so i know you have to catch a flight where now are you coming I back <laughs> are you coming back to la from wichita right now or are you going to another I'm, festival <laughs> I'm going to I right now yeah, so I am I am going to the Santa Fe Independent Film Festival that I'm really excited about. We have three screenings there, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'll be there for the Thursday, Friday one. And then I'll come back to LA for the LA Femme 
festival. And then, let's see. Oh, my gosh. I have, I have a name going to uh, the Heartland. Because I know festival. you have, what, seven, to... 17 film festivals in seven weeks yeah. or something? Yeah. It's something like this is an insane. Isn't quite that bad. But this is an insane I put, pace. I put my suitcase on the thing on the scale this morning when I checked it in, and it's forty-four pounds, which is terrible. Is it gaining more weight with each stop? Well, of course, because people keep giving you swag. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about boxing up the swag and mailing it to yourself at home? I have. I have. I have found that to be a very convenient way to handle things. (laughs) Yeah, if I weren't returning this weekend, I would have to because I I can't. I can't handle it anymore. (laughs) I need to to scale back. I'm used to just traveling with a backpack, so that's terrible. (laughs) Now, will you be doing Q and A's at all of the upcoming screenings at Santa Fe and in and in Beverly Hills? Yeah, I'll be at every. Uh, I'll be at every. I, I won't be able to be at the Saturday Santa Fe screening, unfortunately, um, just because I have to travel back to LA that day. But I love the Q and As. They're they're really one of my favorite parts of the festivals. It's it's so much fun to you know because who wants to make a film in a vacuum where you never get feedback, and you never get to talk to people, you know, even questions that are, um, you know, critical. I totally appreciate because it's. You know, all of it is certainly all of it's going to make me a better filmmaker for the next film. Um, but it's great to get a view as to you know what the what the film makes people think and feel, and and having a Q and A gives you an opportunity to try to you know help help them see it in a in a different way if it's something that's troubling to them or you know it's just it's, who wants to make something you know a tree falling. In the woods with nobody around sounds like no fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing I can attest to for everybody, Girl Flu is so much fun. And if it's coming to your neck of the woods, you should go see it, see it, see it. And then hopefully I'm going to try and make it over on Sunday to say hi myself. Oh, I would love that. As well you should. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would love to see you no, there. I'm going to I'm going to try and make it over on Sunday. I'm I'm juggling, you know, my schedule is like as bad as yours. So crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, you go get on your uh, plane. Have a lovely flight. Thank you. And thank you so much for calling in so that we can spread some girl flu love. Ah, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's so it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, same here, Dory, and I will see you soon. I'll see you soon. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. And that was Dory Barton, writer-director of Girl Flu. And we're going to take a short break right now and hear about Vidiots and their Indiegogo campaign. Friends and film lovers, Vidiots has launched its first Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. That's right, Vidiots, the one-of-a-kind video store experience located in Santa Monica, California, wants you. The campaign continues through October 19th, and backers will support Vidiots' upcoming film preservation, education, and community initiatives. Donors will have the opportunity to snag exclusive perks like a filmmaker spotlight, curating their own in-store recommendations rack, hosting their own screening in Vidiots' 
48-seat micro cinema, or even taking over Vidyots for a cinematic in-store sleepover party. Go to igg.me backslash at backslash Vidyots and get involved today. Vidyots is a recognized 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Get involved and get going to Vidyots. And we are back. Welcome back to Behind the Lens. Uh, for those of you just joining us, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You just missed Dory Barton, but don't worry about it because you can hear it later on today when, when we get the show up as a podcast on MovieSharkDeBlore.com and on Adrenaline Radio and tomorrow on iTunes. Coming up at uh, the half hour mark, we're going to have Reed Cox, but in the interim. Oh, and one quick note. On Vidyance, they've extended their Indiegogo campaign to, I believe, October 27th. So jump on over to vidyancefoundation.org, find out about Vidyance, find out about the campaign, and uh, help preserve video stores, videos, DVDs, Blu-rays, and the viewing experience. But right now, there's another experience that we missed last week because he decided to take time off. Brian is here it's with... mandatory time off. It was what? Mandatory time off. Man hyphen detory. Mandatory, yeah. Mandatory. What did I say? You said mandatory, but it's like as in man. Man time off. Oh, no. It was just it was mandatory. Is that how I say it? Yeah. Yeah. I... I I have a problem. Um, my, my girlfriend makes fun of me for saying professional because I emphasize the pro. Oh. How do you say it? Professional. I say professional. That's okay. That's which I make. I get made fun of all the time. Well, that's okay. I'm sorry. I stepped all over the intro. Well, what did, what did, here I am trying to give you a build up for the Star Wars countdown, which we have missed. Do you have your countdown ready? I do. And we flip the order of, of the movies that we look at just because we're getting closer to Rogue One. We usually start with episode eight, but Rogue One, a Star Wars story that comes out in 59 days, 12 hours, 33 minutes. And as soon as I am done speaking this sentence, which is going to end right now, it's about 35 seconds. Okay. Now, have you watched the new Rogue One trailer and posters No, yet? I saw the poster, but the trailer, I was busy with uh, with school last week and then getting back from vacation that I just, I, I saw a, a really bad, you know, when Facebook posts videos on there, they're just horrible quality so i haven't seen like a really nice hd version of it but i did watch that bad quality one and i did see darth vader for the two seconds that he's on screen walking towards somebody or something he's just walking again i've I've made mention that i was okay if he just walked in the background somewhere with a map just trying to find his way around the death star since it's new he's not gonna know where to go (laughs) but it seems like this is Going to be like a Darth Vader film, not a Darth Vader film, but he's going to be a prevalent part of it. Oh, well, As, you know that will make me happy because you know I like Darth Vader. Oh yeah, uh, Darth Vader. If there's a constant in any of these films, all six of them, it's Anakin or Darth Vader. So yeah, uh, this one was not going to go without a Vader like character or Vader himself. So it, we needed a Skywalker, or else it's not a Star Wars story. Aha. Uh-huh. There had to be a, a Skywalker involved somewhere. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to see Darth Vader. Is, is any any word on who's voicing him? Is it James? As far as I know, I was under the impression he was going to be doing it. I haven't I haven't looked it up because I'm afraid of looking up spoilers. Just anybody who's had any information about this film. But I'm sure it has to be 
James uh, Earl Jones. Oh, Earl Jones. I forgot his name. Yeah. So, and now for the big one. Now, Star Wars Episode Eight. So, continuing on with. Uh, so, if you don't know, Rogue One is is way before any of these films take place. Episode Eight is after Episode Episode Seven, which is ap- after Episode Four. One. Four, Rogue five, six, One, yeah. Rogue, Rogue One takes place before the episode first four. one that we saw, which was Episode Four. Yeah. So it's it's in between the the prequel, the the trilogy prequel, and the tried and true four, five, and six: New Hope, Empire, and Revenge. The, the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So episode eight comes out in four hundred and twenty-three days, twelve hours, and thirty-one minutes. So that one is close to. Yeah, but I like fifty-nine. That's less than two months away. That you know what? Remember when we when we crossed the ninety mark and we made such a big deal about it? Yeah, and that that felt like it was last week. And now we're fifty-nine days away. And and I went to Target. Walmart's starting. Here's the cool part, guys. If you're listening, Walmart is starting to sell all their episode seven stuff on discount because it's no longer. Relevant. Oh. So I picked up a couple of Kylo Ren figures, the ones that were usually like forty, fifty dollars. I got one for about fifteen bucks. A really nice die cast Kylo Ren without his mask on. Everyone had already taken the mask uh-huh. ones, but I love Adam Driver anyway, and he has a cute face, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> but if you're looking, for, if you were thinking of purchasing any of those Episode Seven merchandise items from Target or Walmart, now's the time to do it because they're pushing them out at a discounted price. To make room for Rogue One That's right. merchandise, yeah. So go pick that up. Oh, and we hear the phone ringing. So Brian is stepping away from Star Wars to answer the phone because I am sure, I am sure that this next call, that this phone call is our next guest, the lovely Reed Cox. And as soon as Brian's done playing with buttons, he's talking, he's playing with buttons. We had to juggle everything around today for Dory's plane flight. So, okay. And now, here we have the very talented actress, producer, Reed Cox. Hello, Reed. Hello, Debbie. How are you? I am fine. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. And thank you so much for juggling your schedule so we could accommodate Dory's plane flight and all of, all of that stuff. So of course, I, Debbie. I am thrilled to be talking to you today. I just I've, I've been listening to your podcast before I came on, and I just love what you're doing. So I'm honored to be on your show. Well, the the minute that your your delightful publicist friend Mitch said, "Hey, I have a friend," and I said, "Ooh, yes, definitely." He said, "Would you like her on your show?" And I said, "Ooh, yes, definitely." Especially oh. especially when I saw. This great short, I Blame Monty Hall. Wow, thank you so much. (laughs) This short sets the tone of the month, really. We're in October. Halloween is getting closer. And this has a very creepy, supernatural kind of vibe to it. Yes, it does. I mean, we really wanted to make something that was really special kind of in the vein of, like, the uh, modern-day episode of The Twilight Zone, like Black Mirror. You have these shows coming out now, like 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 I said, Black Mirror, and they're these one-episode short stories, and we really wanted to tell a story within a short time frame, which was 10 minutes on the dot. <laughs> Isn't it 10 minutes and 16 seconds? With whatever you say it is. 
Now, I, I didn't. Now, I have to ask you because this is also the first time you're producing. Yes, it is. It actually is. So what, and I mean, your resume, you are no stranger to indie film. You do shorts after short after short after short, which, I mean, number one, it just helps you hone your craft. But mm-hmm. number two, it's given you good insight into indie filmmaking. Yes. Um, I tell you what, I love making movies. I just really love being on set. I love everything about it. And the number one piece of advice I give to anyone in the industry, whether they're an actor or they want to direct or write, is make your own project, make your own stuff, because you learn so much. And I've always really loved, you know, connecting people and putting the pieces together. And even when I'm on a a set and I'm not acting in a scene, I'll I'll watch in the corner because I just I just love it. And I really wanted to make something, and my friend Ben Melman of I Blame Monty Hall, <laughs> we would do. We would always be collaborating in the weirdest ways. We would take pictures in my basement that looked like they were film stills, and we were always collaborating and trying to find something to work on together. And I live in this very old craftsman house in Hollywood, and it has so much history and this really creepy vibe. And we were like, hey... We've got a free location. Let's let's make something. Um, and I tell you what, I learned so much through producing this film. And even after we finished filming it, it's like you're, you're constantly fighting to get it out there because um, so many people worked so hard on this. And we're all so proud. We just really want to get every opportunity for people to see it. Well, I have, so, um, I have to being say, a producer has honestly, it, it's been, it's been something. It's like I found the missing piece. I, I love acting. Acting is always my number one. But man, I just, I just love, I loved making this film, and I'm really looking forward to making more in the future. So now, what was the process like? You and Ben came up with this idea. Did you automatically say, "Well, I'm going to produce this. I'm going to put all the puzzle pieces together." You know, or did he come up with the script and say, "Hey, I've got this. What do you think about it?" What was that whole uh, the procedural like in you stepping in as producer and then putting together the cast, the crew, and which, by the way, Julia Swan, your DP, fabulous work. Julia is incredible. I worked with Julia on another film called With Grace. And I love working with women. I thought she was just the most badass DP ever. <laughs> and she's so incredibly talented. So she was always number one on my list for who we wanted to be our cinematographer. Um, but how we got started, so like I said, Ben and I were always trying to find a w- different little ways to collaborate. And we were like, let's shoot something in the house. We were riffing one day on my porch, trying to come up with different ideas of what we could shoot in the house. And we kind of came up with the story, which was, Kate, who's my character, uh, and her boyfriend, Charlie, they go to house it in Charlie's aunt's house, for Charlie's aunt. Um, And she lives in a really creepy house, and there's this door that Kate is told very specifically not to enter, and then she ignores what Rose and Charlie say and tries to figure out what's behind the door. So we had the story. 
we started working on the script. We Ben would write, and then we'd meet up at my place or at random coffee beans or Starbucks's and go through different incarnations of the script. And we were all we were really really collaborative, always throwing out different ideas. And we um, finally locked the script, mm-hmm. and so we knew we needed a Charlie and a Rose. Then I hired, um, or we hired um, my good friend Kate Reed as our casting director to help us find a Rose. And we saw so many amazing actresses, but Jean was just incredible, super creepy, super subtle, very nuanced. And we were like, we've got to have her. And then Ben, who I've known for years, and Ben's also a friend. Oh, Ben Gavin, mm-hmm. he's Charlie. You have two Ben. Um, ben Gavin and I have always been creating different things together and working together on many other projects. And um, I knew I wanted him to be a part of it. So we had our cast, and then it was basically just, like, pulling everyone that I've worked with before, pulling every favor, and making this <laughs> thing happen. And I tell you what, I honestly, Debbie, did not think it was going to happen until after we had wrapped. Oh, my you God. You know how it is when you're making something, like, up until the day, you're like, is it even going to happen? Like, you're putting out all these fires, and yep. and I I really, truly can't stress enough how how important it is just to have the end goal in mind. I was just like, no, we're going to make this happen. We're going to make it happen. And then we did. We pulled it off. And then we had an amazing editor and amazing, every, all these amazingly talented people were giving their time to help us make this low-budget little thing that we all just really believed in. And I tell you what, people just showed up and gave 110%, and we're really proud of um, the finished product. Well, I have to say, what stands out here, and this happens so often with the low-budget, low no-budget films, uh, mm-hmm. be they short, be they features, when you get people involved that are truly passionate about it, it comes through in the it, not only in the work, but in the creativity behind the work, because you don't have the money to go do special effects and CGI and all of this. So you have to work with the tropes and trappings within you know, within your realm and here, what you all did, you know, and here again, it's, it's, you know, applause to Julia for this with the very, with her lensing and the different angles that she was, that she was using and, you know, a lot of camera pullback. And then you've got great sound editing and a mix between Ian Reese's scoring, you know, and the pulsating, you know, drum beating of that that matches to Julia's, you know, some of her pullbacks and some of the the motion transfer. And it's just, yes. you don't come up, people don't typically come up with this and apply themselves to see this level of creativity unless you have no money to go and just, you know, oh, we'll do it, we'll do it artificially. No, you've got to do this. You have to apply yourselves to achieve this work. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And Ian Reese, my goodness, he just came on. And I mean, he, when Ian visited the set, he was just the coolest dude. And then when he came <laughs> up with, I mean, he did everything. You know, we had this really creepy instrumental music throughout the short. And then the credit music, it's kind of like a bit of a surprise. And when people watch, they'll see what I'm talking about. Totally Ian unexpected. wrote that too. Um, and so I, when it comes to people showing up and, you know, putting 110% in for little, honestly, no money. It's all because of, honestly, Ben and my enthusiasm. Ben Melman, our director, is just so incredibly talented, and he believed 
in this film so much, and we all believed in it so much that people were wanting to work with us before they even found out what it was about. <laughs> um, and Julia is just, oh my gosh, I could just go on and on about everyone who's worked on this film, but what Ben's really good at is telling people what he wants very mm-hmm. specifically, and then being open to have other people bring other aspects to the table. He's extremely collaborative to work with. That's why when it came to my um, level of producing, he was always really open to my thoughts and you know my ideas, but I also trusted him, and I was like, I'm going to let Ben do his thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also had, um, I also want to mention Max Melman, who's Ben's brother, came on at the last minute, right before the shoot, and it's really helped us, you know, drive it home. And he's been on this journey with us as a produce, a fellow producer, and he was just so efficient and so on it, and so respectful of the process that it really allowed me to free myself of all, you know, stresses of being a producer and just be in the moment as an actor. Mm-hmm. And everyone just came together and just really gave it their all. And I think that's why we have such an amazing finished product. Well, and, uh, you know, and I'm glad that you mentioned Max Melman as well, because I was going to ask you, whenever you're juggling more than one hat, you then have to decide, you know, in the moment, are you acting or is your mind thinking, oh, my God, we can't afford to do another take because the, the producer hat is interfering. Did you have any kind of conflicts there as to when you're wearing your producer hat, when you're wearing your actor's hat? Girl, I tell you what, I I was... I knew that was going to kind of happen. You know, it was my first time producing. Of course, I've acted in plenty of different things. I know it's like to be on a set. But I've, I've always observed producers and, and how they juggle and how you have to maintain this energy for the set to keep people focused and moving and, and, and you know, make sure everything's going well. But I really just meditate. I would take little, like, two-minute breaks and just, like, meditate. I just, mm-hmm. I, I utilize meditation so much when it comes to my craft, but also when it comes to producing and juggling hats. And I really just visualize having two sides of my brain, my producer's brain and my actor brain. <laughs> I was able to really jump back and forth um, between the two sides whenever the situation presented itself for me to jump into the other one. So Max really came on and was just, like, so great and so efficient that I, was, I trusted what he was doing then I could be free and in the moment and trust Ben um, in the creative side of things. I mean, all producing is really creative. Um, but, yeah, it was a huge learning experience, Debbie. I mean, I, I really learned a lot. I'm looking forward to producing and acting in the same project again because I feel like I know a lot more about it now. But ultimately, um, not to do my own horn, but I was actually really proud of myself. I felt like I was able to really stay focused and, and look at, and take it scene by scene and minute by minute. And um, I really love that challenge. Well, let me ask you something. As a producer, because you actually, you're dealing with, you have a beautiful vintage, you bet your life TV clip in there. Did, mm-hmm. did you encounter, was this in, you know, just, was this out of copyright and in the open domain, or did you have to worry about licensing or anything like that to use that clip with Groucho Marx and Ralph Edwards? I tell you what. So we wrote the short before we even thought about, you know, finding a clip that, you know, was we were able to use. We just got lucky. We got lucky, and it was public domain, and we were like, yes, that one, that's it. That's perfect. That's perfect. 
so we got lucky and we didn't have to deal with like, you know, the rights or anything and it was open domain. So wow, we just put it in there. We got so lucky. So lucky. And of course, the fact that, you know, you've got Groucho and part of the whole, the whole setup of, you know, you bet your life and the secret word of the day and the secret word happened to be door. Door. And it just fell right into Kate's obsession with the door. The infamous door. Yeah, everyone's like, why is she obsessed with this door? But it, it's so much, it's not just about the door, it's about you know, wanting to be heard and, you know, when people tell you you're making a big deal about things, but you know something's up and so she's so, you know, she's, this door, she can't get it out of her head and I just love, I love playing women who are, you know, know what they want and driven and, and complex because guess what, all women are complex. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that, like, we're not in, um, in films up until this point, but you see so many complex characters that are women and just really getting to play someone who was just, so layered was just such a gift. I know I just took your question and put a spin on it. Hey, <laughs> but, that's, uh, that's what you're supposed um, to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this door, like, it's so funny because I, I love the fact that she's obsessed with this door. And it's just a door at the end of the day. But it means so much more than just being a door. It's like, are you hearing me? Or, or am, am I invisible? You know, and, and Charlie and Kate are at a point in their relationship. They're at that point. In the, relationship, in the relationship, at least I see it as, they're at that point where it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> are, are we meant to be together? Are we not? Like, what, what, is, what is this, you know? And I think ultimately she realizes a lot about her relationship through her obsession with this door and how Charlie reacts to her. Well, and of course, the other big thing about the door, the first thing that got me is the minute somebody tells me, do not open that door. Well, you know, that's the first thing I'm going to want to do. Yep. <laughs> so I mean, you've got you have that in there. That's a natural instinct for anybody. It's you know, it's the wave the wave the red flag in front of the bull, and mm-hmm. that always is a good starting point for any kind of story because it gives you there's a purpose. There's mm-hmm. there's the light at the end of the tunnel there that you can work towards, and I just think I mean, you guys did an amazing job with that. Oh, thank you so much, Debbie. I really appreciate it. You know, I just love, I love the entire look. The, the tonal bandwidth is just so beautifully done. But now I have to ask you, I blame Monty Hall. Why do we blame Monty Hall? Where did this title come from? We blame Monty Hall because, you know, the well, I don't want to give too much away because there's, there's a huge twist at the end. A very a big twist. twist, which you know I've been avoiding. I know, I know, right? But there, there is a twist. So when it comes to blaming Monty Hall, I guess you, we're, it's, we call it I Blame Monty Hall. It's just to pay homage to, you know, it's Monty Hall is the reason why she even, it's the last straw for why she goes to the door in the middle of the night to finally figure out what is up. Um, but just to blame him for everything that happens after. And also to blame him for the questions that we still have after this is done. Oh. You know, I, I'm really proud of how we, we, we ended the film. And um, I think it's a film that people still, we get every, everyone's feedback. It's like, we were so freaked out, but what happens? What happens? What happens? It's totally you know, ambiguous, like, open to interpretation. Yeah, and for e- sure. even better, it's open to being made into a feature. Yeah, actually, it's funny um, you say that. So when we made this, we weren't even thinking about turning it into a feature. We were like, 
let's make something where everyone can show what they're capable of and have it be like quick 10 minute thing, you know, people watch it and, you know, move on. But right when we screened it for the first time, we had, we had a big screening at the Chinese theater and everyone was like, what, when's the feature coming out? What happens? What happens? And we had a lot of interest right away mm-hmm. in seeing a bigger story. So we were like, okay, let's write a script. So we actually wrote the feature script and it goes, oh my gosh, you would love this, Debbie. It's just so, it's so good. Ben wrote it with um, a really talented friend of ours, Philippe, um, who's a writer as well. And it is just a phenomenal script. And we haven't been pushing getting the feature made as much as getting the short out mm-hmm. there. We premiered at the Sarasota Film Festival and did really well there and have gotten so much great feedback. We just wanted to get the short out there and then move into the feature realm. But we have a script. And um, it's just a matter of taking the next step, you know? Because I just, within within the first two, three minutes, the minute Kate and Charlie walk into the house and you start seeing the dark woods and you've got Julia's lensing and she starts touching the camera ever so slightly and you see so much potential for how any kind of mystery could play out. And then as we get a few more minutes in, by then it's like, oh no, this has to be a feature. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, it's um, the, the feature script, it, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. Why does that not it's surprise me? <laughs> oh, there are lots of surprises, and it's and it's so beautifully written. And Philippe and Ben do such an amazing job writing for like really fleshing out these characters, and especially female characters. Um, so I'm so lucky to be working with people like them, who, you know, it's it's not all about you know. I mean, I I don't mean to be like I don't want to watch movies about men, but you know, I am really passionate about seeing films and television with strong female characters Mm -hmm. and working with women as well. I've been very blessed to work with incredible female directors, producers that I just, I just love working with. Um, But they did a really good job at, you know, writing really good characters. And I really do hope we get a chance to make the feature. It's, it's, we mean, we made the short for pretty much nothing and we proved that we could make something really good and high quality for nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we could definitely pull the feature off, and I know we will. So now, how can people go? How can people see? I blame Monty Hall. Where can they go to find it? So we have our we have the film uh, posted on YouTube. So if you just uh, search "I blame Monty Hall." on YouTube, but we also have a website. It's iblamemontyhall.com. And I'm sure you can post the link as well. Um, oh, you, oh, you know I will. Mitch knows oh, I will you. too. <laughs> yeah, but we're just, we're just very YouTubeable. We've had a lot of, oh my gosh, we've had such amazing reviews so far. People are being so generous and kind and watching our film and writing about it and giving such great feedback. So we're out there. We're out there. So YouTube, our website, we're, you know, we have a, we didn't go too big into the social media, like Facebook and Twitter thing. We really wanted the film to find its audience organically, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're out there for sure. Well, I think everybody should see it. Take, take 10 minutes and 16 seconds out of your day and watch I Blame Monty Hall because it really, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of value and it's, you know, and it will have you sitting there you know, wondering and with a creepy vibe just for Halloween. 
It's perfect for Halloween time. It's <laughs> perfect. Reed, I can't thank you enough for call for joining me today. This has been a real delight. Yep. Oh, Debbie, thank you so much for having me. I you tell have you to- what, I, like I said before, I really love what you're doing, and it's a pleasure. I really, I'm really looking forward to the next time. Yeah, you are coming back. There is no question yes. about it. You are it's com- happening. You are coming back. Reed, thank you, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Debbie. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Reed Cox, producer and actress in I Blame Monty Hall. Trust me, it's worth it's worth 10 minutes and 16 seconds out of your day, people. IBlameMontyHall.com. And now, Brian. We are, Brian's like falling asleep back there today. He was moving furniture this morning at yes. his house, so he's, he's tired. We're going to jump into something that I'm very passionate about that I love. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, new film with Gael Garcia Bernal, written and directed by Jonas Cuaron, son of Alfonso Cuaron. Desierto. It is one of the most timely and topical films and out in the market today. It just opened on Friday and limited. It is going to be going wider in release. We have illegal immigrants trying to cross the border and we have one lone paramilitary military vigilante played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, Gael Garcia Bernal plays uh, Moises, one of the one of the immigrants trying to get across the border into the United States. His goal is to get to his son who has who is here in the states uh where whom he's allowed to be in the states but his father is not and has been deported pr- multiple times and has made multiple attempts to come back across the border and in this we see this group of 14 people that suddenly they dwindle down as they're stuck in the badlands trying to hoof it across uh into safety in the United States while Jeffrey Dean Morgan his character Sam and his dog, Tracker, who does just that, tracks quite well. They're picking off the immigrants one by one because he doesn't want them in this country. Um, we're seeing this play out in the presidential campaign now. We're seeing it played out in the media. And now you can really get a real handle and grip on this on the big screen um, with the intensity of boiling it down to mano y mano as we have a Gael Garcia Bernal's character and Jeffrey Dean Morgan's go head to head in a battle of wills, a battle of survival, a battle of mindsets. So I sat down for an exclusive interview with Jeffrey Dean Morgan the other day, the highlight of last week, by the way. Uh, and to give you a taste of what we talked about, um, let's take a listen to Jeffrey talking about creating the character of Sam and how he took him from beyond being a one-note performance. This could have been such a one-note performance. And you really make Sam somebody who's fully, he's very complex in his thinking. It's not that he's a villain. He just has a mindset. Yeah. And then you have a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I can relate to dogs. If you know anything about me, I love, you, I love dogs. And, and so that was a big cornerstone, I think, in trying to make this yeah. guy human. Because it, on the page, we're done. You yep. know, a character like this, and, yep. and, and as brilliant as Onas is as a, as a filmmaker, and he wrote this script, it's very. It came off very one note. I mean, this guy is just a you know kind of a killing machine, and 
And after talking with Onasa, I had to, you know, I can't do, I can't do just a bad guy. I, I have to make the character, I have to believe the character for one. I, I have to, if I'm going to play him, I've got to have some sort of a story and some place I can go to and whatever his hatred of these people crossing the border, what does that stem from? And, and so kind of came up with a story and actually we shot some stuff, believe it or not, that wasn't in the initial script. Um, because I thought it was important. And then I remember seeing a rough cut of it uh, with Onas, and, and, and uh, it just it didn't need to be there. It, and I realized that we did it kind of just for me. It was mm-hmm. just so I had something to use, I think. I, I needed somewhere, because I, I don't ever want to play a character that is completely one note. And this still is, you know, because he doesn't have an opportunity, he never explains his motivation. Um, Ever, right? And he doesn't have any dialogue other than, you know, kind of to his dog. Um, and so trying to realize a character like that and bring it to life, it, it, it had more challenges, I think, than, than even I anticipated initially. But it was also the reason why I wanted to do the role so badly. It was because I think it was it would be such a challenge as an actor to make this a character that you could somewhat understand and not not sympathize or empathize with but but understand in some mm-hmm. way um, not saying that you understand what he's doing because there's no justification for what his actions are but thank you I appreciate the the emotional resonance that you had and even without a backstory even that dialogue just by your very demeanor by the, by the very physicality of the character you find out he's he's former military or paramilitary mm-hmm. sharpshooter. You don't get that hanging out on the street. No. But being a loner with the dog, the dog is obviously very well trained. No, no. Either he was his companion in the service. That's right. So all of this is there without you. Don't need the dialogue. Yeah, there's, there's, you're right. There didn't need to be a lot of explanation um, because uh, there's enough hints I think dropped uh, through the course of of this journey um, that you that you have a very good idea of, of who Sam is and, and and I found him to be kind of a, a sad. It's a sad character, a sad case study in, in the guy. Um, uh, I had sympathy only in that I found this guy to just be a lost cause and for that reason I I found him to be a very sad kind of character to play and and I tried to put that out there in the course of filming this was a guy that obviously had a lot more issues going on than what we're seeing certainly on the script and and, and that's our job as actors I think trying to bring all that to, to fruition somehow and, and hopefully we did according to you we did okay you did and of <laughs> course you humanized Sam with the relationship with Tracker thank God those, those scenes and the emotional shift that you bring to life you know when something befalls poor Tracker yeah yeah I, that was hard that was hard my heart stopped me. watching on the spot <laughs> my heart stopped when I saw that but to see you you in character decimated yeah. and any philosophy that Sam had at that moment then turned to revenge yes. which said everything you really need to know that Sam did have a heart and he loved that dog loved that dog i mean that's kind of you know, i mean that's his redeeming quality and always was for me in the film too and 
and being such a big dog guy and, and, and I've lost some dogs in the course of my life that have changed I think who I am as a, as a, as a human I love them so much um, and so that was that was kind of the, the easiest place I could <laughs> go because I am such a, a dog guy um, so I understood that pain. I think that I, uh, I think I remember you shooting that in particular, and, and Honas's eyes being like this big. Because I don't think he expected uh, me or, or Sam certainly to go where we went in in the in that scene. Um, but and then I, you know, I did see the movie, and and all of that I think resonates, and and and. And I think you've explained it better than I ever could. And I'm so glad that you're doing this interview right now. Because <laughs> so far, it's, it's, I wish to God you'd just taken my place in all the 100 interviews I did today. No, I would just feed you. Feed you the yeah, part. Just, okay. yeah, exactly. I'll script it out so that gi- that gives you a sense of the tone of the interview that, that Jeff and I were having. Uh, the whole interview will be up on my website, MovieSharkDeBlur.com. We'll hear more from Jeffrey Dean Morgan next week. Next week we also have John Hickman and Brian Terwilliger are going to be joining us live. In the meantime, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Until next week. <laughs>